This is no small part. No small part. No small part. This is no small parts. I am Brittany Brewer. I thank you so much again for agreeing to yeah. speak with me today. Do you prefer Sure, no worries. This is Michael Philip O'Brien. Do you prefer Mike or Michael? Um most people call me Mike. It doesn't really matter either way, but uh, most people say Mike. Michael is a native Philadelphian, and after graduating from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts in 2001, he decided to return home and start 11th Hour Theater Company. I, and we'll get into this more later, um, I am such a big fan of the Next Step concert series. I think you all are doing something <laughs> so fantastically that isn't happening many places and to such high production quality. Thanks. On today's episode of No Small Parts, Mike talks about the producer as a tone setter, the importance of strong communication in a producing process, and how producing can be a way to create work for yourself. Cheers. But I'm really excited to hear more about that, but I'd love to get what your gateway was into into theater. Well, um, yeah, my path started really early, actually. I When I was a kid, um, I... My, I really, as a really young kid, I, I really wanted to, to take karate lessons. Like all I wanted to do was take karate lessons. And uh, my mom at that point didn't really think that that was what, where I should be focusing my energy. Uh, and so she put me in dance class, um, which was, uh, which was, I didn't know if I wanted to do it. Uh, and then very quickly I, I realized that uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I was I was also like the only boy in the class, which was great at that point in my life. I got lots of attention. So uh, yeah, and that was kind of it. Um, I I started singing. I guess maybe when I was about nine or ten, my grandfather suggested to like get me into voice lessons because you know I sang well, you know, around the house or whatever. So uh, and that was kind of. That was kind of it. Like I knew when I I knew from a very very early age that this is what I wanted to do. I, I did some shows um, as a kid at the Walnut Street Theater um, when I was like ten through thirteen, and then I worked at the uh, well uh, AMTF, which then became the Prince uh, Music Theater. I worked for them as a teenager. So like this was this was it. Like my whole life, I, I kind of always knew that. I, I got to do this. I did end up finally taking karate lessons at, at <laughs> age 12. Uh, I finally convinced my mom and uh, did that for a really long time after. But uh, I stopped dancing a little bit more at that point and, and just did that. But it was, uh, yeah, it, it's it's always kind of been what I've what I've done. So that is that is so cool. So acting, like performing, <laughs> music, dancing, definitely your gateway into theater yeah 100 percent. and you know and then i obviously did choir and all of that stuff through high school and and that was a huge huge part of my life and um you know i i think but it's it's always been kind of what i've done and and i always knew from a very very early age like i i just knew that this was what i wanted to do so yeah <laughs> it's kind of so nuts it sounds <laughs> like you were performing professionally a little bit even while you were a student in middle school and high school yeah did you know yeah yeah I yeah I mean I was it was just yeah I took a little break like so I was doing a lot of um 
I was going up to New York a lot and auditioning and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. And, and I guess when I hit middle school, I just, I was spending so much time out of school and going up to the city and uh, auditioning and, um, and I, I kind of just wanted to have a little bit more of like a normal kid's life at that point. Like, uh, so I wanted to play like some sports and, and do things like that. And I, I couldn't do it. Um, if I was auditioning all the time and coming out of school and I couldn't make practices and things. So, uh, in middle school, I, I kind of decided to stay focused in Philly. Um, and, uh, yeah, but all through, all through my kind of youth, I was doing stuff in Philadelphia and, and around in the areas around, uh, just kind of doing as much as I could, couldn't get enough. And I, I saw from your bio um, that you did go to school for theater after high school. Was there was that always a certainty? Were you thinking about diving straight into the professional world at any point? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. No, I think I always knew that I wanted to go to college. Um, I went to Ithaca College actually my first year um, and uh, was not, I, I, you know, it wasn't the place for me ultimately uh and so after my freshman year i decided to leave um very late though so i went to in my sophomore year i went to temple and did all of my like academic requirements and uh and then in that same year i i got accepted early admission to nyu so i knew that that was where i was going to go so i made sure all my credits would transfer and then i spent my junior and senior year uh, and like an extra semester at NYU and graduated from there with a degree in acting. So, um, yeah, it was, I, I was very intimidated to go to New York city, I think, and like to live there when I was 18, 17 out of high school. But, uh, my parents kind of convinced me that I should give it a shot at, you know, once I was going into my junior year and it was an, it was a perfect step for me it, it I, I love the school I felt like I I took a huge step in my growth as a performer and um and then yeah that that was uh that was it <laughs> it's such a smart move to take care of your basic academic requirements at an in-state school and then transfer to NYU yeah yeah I I think it ultimately came down to the fact that I I didn't want to take a year off because I didn't, you know, I liked the musical theater aspect of school, but I was not, you know, school was not, I didn't, I wasn't like an avid student. I didn't, you know, that wasn't my passion, you know? So I, I kind of went like, okay, if I take a year off right now, because when I decided to leave Ithaca, it was like too late to apply for that, that next year. Um, it was like August of the year. I was like planning on going back and then decided not to. It was kind of crazy. But but I just went, if I stop, I don't know if I'm going to go back. And I really wanted to make sure I got my degree, um, you know, and, and I think that it, it it ended up being a great thing, too, because I only had to take, I think, one general education course at NYU when I got there. And I took it, and it was really hard. It was way harder than this, the courses I was taking elsewhere. I was like, okay, uh, I think I made a, a wise step. This is like a real, real liberal arts school at NYU, you know. These are like legit 4.0 grade point average students here that I have to compete with in these classes. So it was a, it was a wise move across the board. <laughs> 
And when you were at, at NYU, your focus was musical theater performance studies? Yeah, so th back then it was um, basically you went to school at, technically at Tisch, um, at their art school at NYU. But there were like 10 different studios um, and they were professional acting studios that they would then kind of <laughs> farm their students out to. So most of my courses were actually at CAP 21, which was the musical theater specialty um, school at the time. And they, so I took a few classes actually at NYU in Tisch, but they were more kind of general uh, theater courses like theater education and theater, you know, theater history, things like that, where all of my like musical theater training took place at Cap 21, which was uh, uh, up, uptown um, on 18th Street. And uh, yeah, so I was there for, uh, like I said, two years and a semester. And uh, I actually, because I was a transfer and uh, because of where I was, I did my freshman year, I went in, even though I was technically a junior in college, I went in and, and was with the freshman class for my first year. And then in my second year there, I actually jumped and went in with the junior class. So like a year ahead. So it was, it was great. It was very interesting. I had two totally different groups of friends because they were different classes, you know, and it was weird leaving the class that I started with uh, and then joining the other, the older class, uh, even though I was technically older than all of them. But uh, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was great though because I, I got to really get close with a huge number of, of students because I, I was with two different classes while I was there. So it was, it was nice. What were the highlights for you of that program or was there anything that you wish you had the opportunity to dig into more while you were there? Yeah, I mean, I, it was a really, it was a really awesome experience for me personally. I, I felt like the teachers that I had, very fortunately, were very like constructive, criticism-based and oriented teachers. Um, so it was, it was a lot of kind of positive reinforcement, uh, kind of taking the skill that you came in with and then allowing you to build on that. Um, I, I felt like they really encouraged you as an individual artist in a way that I, I hadn't felt before. Um, and so it really, it was like exactly the type of learning that I felt like I, I kind of flourished in. Um, and as far as I, I got to do a, it's funny because I got to do a production of uh, a musical called Avenue X there at, at Tisch. Like every year they did one major musical at, at Tisch each, each year. And uh, I got to do uh, this production of a sh this show called Avenue X, and it's an all a cappella musical. Um, and it was really, an, yeah, it was an awesome experience. And it was really cool because um, Jerry Dixon, who uh, is a big Broadway performer, and uh, he had originated one of the roles in the show uh, when it was off Broadway. He came in and musical directed because he knew the director. Um, so it was it was an amazing experience, and I got to work with some, you know, insanely talented people who have gone on to do really amazing things in their career and I it it was a it was an awesome awesome uh, way to kind of finish off my college career there uh, and then of course uh, you know that that was one of 11th hour's biggest productions that we've done so when I when I brought it when I when we started 11th hour that was definitely a show that was on the list to do you know 
Eleventh Hour is a theater company producing work in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The theater company was founded in 2005 and is exclusively on producing musicals. What was that transition for you after school to, did you come back to Philly and begin working? Yeah, so I I was in New York um, and I, I lived there for about a year and a half after I, I finished. And I graduated in August of 2001. So I, and I, right after college, I was really fortunate and I had auditioned at the Walnut and um, uh, they had called me in for a production of Damn Yankees that they were doing. And uh, I ended up uh, getting the job. And so it was, I knew I had this thing coming up, but it wasn't until uh, like May of the fall of 2002. So, I had all this time in New York and I was like, great, I, I had just gotten my equity card. I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to get to do a million auditions. And then uh, obviously the month after 9-11 hit and uh, everything shut down and New York, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was insane to live there at that time. And, uh, you know, everything in New York from a theater scene closed everything, you know, so everyone was looking for work. So the ability as a young <laughs> performer right out of college uh, to get a job at that point was impossible, you know, uh, especially when I had my equity card. For more on the Actors' Equity Association, listen to No Small Parts, Episode 8 with Maura Krauss. You know, if that was, it became this thing where I thought I was going to be a great opportunity to go into auditions and all that, and it was like, there's no way you're going to get any of these gigs. So I had a lot of time off. Um, and uh, I, so I, I came home, I did the show in Philly, and then I went back to New York after that. And same thing, like I just, I, I was getting like a lot of readings and a lot of, you know, uh, developmental work stuff, but I wasn't booking the shows uh, and it was a little frustrating. And so uh, a good friend of mine, Jared Stein, who was my roommate at the time, um, he had been producing, like self-producing things through college and all this stuff. And uh, I just was so kind of frustrated that I was like, you know what, screw it. Like, let's let's do our own thing. Like, would you be interested in producing something with me and, and we can kind of feature ourselves and, and like create our own work? So we, we produced a um, concert of Tommy, of the Who's Tommy, uh, at this like tiny off-Broadway theater in the village. And uh, it was, it was amazing. Like it, we had incredible performers, lots of Broadway people who were like on hiatus from their show or whatever, and uh, <clears throat> and it it sold out. Like it, it was really successful, but we totally lost money because it was so expensive to do it in New York. Um, but so that was literally that was the first moment for me that I had ever even thought about like producing something or or creating work in that way, um, and so. Yeah, that was kind of the first step in. And then that summer I came home for uh, a break from New York because my summer stock audition season was awful and I was really frustrated. Summer stock traditionally refers to theaters that focus exclusively on producing shows during the summer. Summer is typically the off season for most theaters and many artists look to summer stock as an opportunity to fill a hole in their season and continue to work, especially when they rely solely on their artistry to provide for themselves. Often a summer stock theater will produce multiple shows in the same summer, sometimes in repertory. To learn more about shows produced in repertory, listen to No Small Parts, Episode 9 with Jim DeVivo. And I 
Steve Pasek and I had lunch, and because we went to Ithaca together, and that's how we met. So we we were both we both happened to be home, and we grabbed a bite to eat, and <clears throat> both of us, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> both of us were um, uh, just in that mindset of like, let's just I want to create my own thing. And so we produced this cabaret at Montgomery Theater, actually, where I had done shows in high school. And uh, it was amazing. Like, we, we made some money. It, it kind of fulfilled what we wanted to do. And, and that was kind of the, the spark for me that went like, all right, maybe, maybe I want to continue this outlet and the ability to, like, produce and create. And uh, Philly was kind of a prime spot for that at that point, you know, in those early 2000s of a spot where I thought we could fit in in a unique way. So that's what, that's where it all started. That is so cool. That's, I mean, I was <laughs> definitely going to ask what became the, uh, when you sort of realized producing was a thing for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it was really, it all was born for both Steve and I initially out of creating work for ourselves. We felt like we were not being seen in the way that we wanted to be seen. We felt like our, our, you know, there were certain aspects of, for some reason, what, you know, what people thought the type of performers that they thought we were um, didn't really match up with what, how, where we felt like we belonged. And uh, we just said, all right, let's 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 create our own work. So hopefully people will see us in that light, you know? Yes, exactly. And I'm not as familiar with um, the Philly theater scene at that time. I moved to Philly about five years ago, but I'm guessing from what I know now of the theater scene here, that there weren't many theaters diving into musicals, especially also, like, even now. Yeah, but that was really, really minimal. And, I, you know, I think, like, everybody had done one or done a couple, you know. Uh, like, the year before we were starting, 1812 had done Bat Boy. And that was, like, a huge hit for them. Um, but I know that, you know, in subsequent years of talking to Jen about it, like how expensive it was and, you know, how much money it costs to do these things. So I think, you know, and like obviously the Arden was on the wall, not we're, we're producing musicals, but uh, that was pretty much it with exception of The Prince. The Prince was still around at that point. And um, they were obviously producing, they were like the leading force for a very long time for musical theater. Um, and but that was a little bit of like when things were starting to kind of, uh, you know, adjust there and like they were shifting their model and leadership was changing and there was just a lot of stuff going on internally at that theater. So I think we kind of felt like that that kind of intimate story driven theater that we're passionate about. There was no one doing musicals like that at that point. Um, so. We, yeah, we, we kind of felt like we fit a niche in town. And th at that point, there were probably like, I don't know, there might have been, you know, 30 or 40 theater companies in, in Philadelphia at that point, you know, professional theater companies at that point. And, you know, within like a seven year period, it went up to like 120 or something. It was, it was crazy. You know, the boom that happened in that like early to mid 2000s was nuts here. And... But so we started, 11th Hour started the same, exactly the same time as Theater Horizon and Flash and Flashpoint. So the three of us started like right 
like within months of each other. And so all of us became kind of friends and close and, you know, we, we were all always kind of checking in on each other to see how people were doing and uh, collaborating in any way we could from resources standpoint. And As you are producing, if you feel comfortable, consider reaching out to arts organizations in your same community about sharing or borrowing resources like props, costumes, etc. Often, folks are open to this conversation, and even if they are unable, they might be able to point you in the direction of someone who is. Um, so it was, it was really exciting, but we also had these kind of more established companies like 1812 and uh, you know, Azuka and um, oh, and Inishinua also was starting like right around then. It, they may have started within a couple months. Uh, I just didn't know Tom at that point, so we we weren't as uh, close. But yeah, it was it was just this crazy kind of period where you know you had the Arden and PTC and the Wilma, which were like '80s and '90s theater companies and then you had 1812 and Azuka and um, I'm I'm forgetting some but uh, you know multiple other companies there that were like a generation older than us and then there was kind of this group of kind of young scrappy (laughs) you know kids flying by the seat of our pants and all of us kind of had that uh, thing going for us and uh, but it was it was a uh, it was a cool time to be in Philly and I, I think that able to do lots of fun stuff and I think for us what we decided to do as well is when when we first started we we rather than try to do a full season of like multiple musicals and things like that with the limited resources we had we decided that we wanted to invest all of those resources in like one production a year so for the first three years at least maybe four now I'm thinking about it we only did one musical a year and then did a couple other smaller events um, but, uh, you know, it allowed us to actually do a musical and, and to do it somewhat right at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so smart. How would you say your role as a producer has changed from the early years to now? Like the different responsibilities you might hold? Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dramatically. Um, well, and that, that's something that kind of shifted within the first probably like four or five years of 11th hour. Uh, you know, I think initially it was very much we put this thing in place because we enjoyed kind of creating our own work, but also because we wanted to create work for ourselves as performers. And at that point, my sister was had just graduated from UArts as a director. And so we, we really wanted to kind of create our own work. And, and then hopefully that would manifest in us getting other work elsewhere and people would see what we could do. And, and I think that within the probably within the first five or six years by that by by that point i had just because of kind of our natural um uh you know personality traits and the way that we the things that were interesting to us i definitely kind of was was put into the kind of producer mode of of the staff you know of the, between the three founders um that was just kind of what my skill set kind of lent itself to uh and I think Megan and Steve would both agree with the fact of like, yeah, like it made it just ended up making sense that like Mike became kind of more of like the the producer on on these things than than them, and it allowed them to kind of do a lot of the creative work and things like that. Um, but so th- that was probably when I, for me personally, when I was like, okay, I, I could see myself kind of running an organization in a more serious way, and as a performer. 
it allowed me to kind of say, okay, if I can run this, then I can be a little more selective in like the types of performing opportunities I take or I choose to do. Um, where up until that point, you know, it, everything we were do- I was supporting myself as an actor. And then this was like the labor of love that, and Steve was the same way. And, you know, Megan in a very similar fashion was getting work elsewhere and I was kind of paying the bills. And then this was our, you know, passion project. So I think that was really when like the shift happened for me. And I kind of started to see myself more in an administrative role than I ever did before. Um, And I enjoyed a little bit more about the nine to five aspect of, of, you know, being an artistic director in comparison to being an actor. Um, so, you know, it was, it was this, but that was also kind of the, the crazy thing is that like we started, we started this company to give ourselves work and to hopefully showcase our skills and, and get other work. And, you know, the great aspect of that is that that worked very well for us, you know, for a while. And, and, uh, you know, Steve and I both as actors started to get a lot more work elsewhere and, um, you know, but in turn, it made it much more difficult for us to focus time on 11th hour. So it was this like double edged sword that we had to deal with. And um, I think that that's what really kind of for me made helped me make the decision of like, OK, what do I really want to do? Do I want to perform? And do I want to take a little bit of a step back as the artistic director producer with 11th Hour because of my time? Or do I want to like really step into this role as like artistic director of a company and then allow myself to be much more kind of, you know, uh, I guess selective, but that feels so like pompous. But I, I, I guess it's just the idea of like the ability for me to go, great, I don't need to perform to support myself anymore. And if there's something that's really, really exciting for me, then I can do that, you know? Um, But I don't need to take every gig I possibly can in order to pay my bills or to get my health insurance weeks or all of those things. So yeah, that was really when things shifted for me uh, and really made me focus on producing and, and running an organization, I think. When did producing readings or staged readings enter the picture for you? <laughs> so, we were just we just had a Eleventh uh, Hour just had our one of our first virtual salon uh, musical theater salon, which is part of our membership program, and it was all about the Next Step concert, and we were just talking about this. So, yeah, the, the Next Step really came about when we were trying to really establish a kind of subscription membership series for our company. But because what we do is so inherently expensive, the fact of going like, we can't produce three or four shows musicals a year, like we just can't afford to do it. So how can we produce more often while also making sure that we're not blowing our budget and you know not able to finance these things? So the concert series was initially focused that first year we did um, Bloody Bloody, Andrew Jackson, uh, uh, Passing Strange, um, uh, Andrew Lip is the Wild Party, and Into the Woods. And basically, we each of us, uh, Kate Galvin had come on uh, and, and started working for 11th Hour at that point, too. So each, all four of us chose um, a 
uh, a show and, and directed it. But the main pitch of that first year was like, hey, these are shows that we're interested in producing and we want to introduce you, our audience, to them and see what you like and what you don't. And before we invest all these resources in producing a full version of it, what see what you think and then we can produce it. And so we did all of them. They were all, you know, they all were pretty successful we we they all sold very well and the audience response was really great and so at the end of the year we reached out to all of our members like you know everyone who had a subscription to the company and and we we were like hey what did you think is this something are these shows that you're interested in seeing in the future and an overwhelming majority of them said that they didn't feel like they needed to see it again because they felt like it was like a full theatrical experience. And that was definitely like a totally unanticipated outcome for us. We did not expect that at all. And so after that, we were like, okay, so they don't want, none of them need us to produce this again. So like, what are we going to do? So we had to kind of totally reframe the idea behind this series at that point because people loved it but the idea of going hey we're going to produce this in the future wasn't part of it anymore so at that point we said great we're going to do either seldom seen work or new work as part of this series and so that's really when the concert series kind of took off and it's kind of nuts like this you know same thing like we didn't anticipate it but it has become our most successful programming that we've that we've ever done um you know, and I think in complement to a, a full production every year, it really, our audience really seems to, to dig it. So, <laughs> would, you, uh, would you walk us through one of your most memorable experiences producing a reading? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, they're, they're all so different, and each, like, each director really their approach is very different you know we all have kind of our own style of, and the way that we do it you know i think one thing that all of us felt very passionate about at the beginning too was that we didn't want this to feel like every other stage reading like so immediately we were like we need a full band we want to have theatrical lighting so it feels more like an, a, a theater experience and not just people at music stands standing up and and we wanted to have blocking to the point where like we were able to isolate people and give them you know privacy in us in an intimate scene or things like that blocking refers to the physical staging and positioning of actors during a performance um so we kind of wanted it to feel like a hybrid and and we went up and we talked to uh the people at encores in new york and just kind of got a feel for what they do if you are interested in producing this is definitely a great move to consider think about is there work being produced that operates in a similar style to what you want to produce it doesn't need to be local if there is it is always worth reaching out to see if the producer would be willing to talk share their experience and share their advice regarding their ventures because obviously there's this was before they had started the, um, uh, the, the the smaller series that they do over the summer. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it now, but um, but it was definitely something where theirs was huge and much more lavish and you know fully fully staged and fully costumed. But we wanted to make sure that it was this kind of hybrid experience that it wasn't just people at music stands standing up and sitting down. Um, so. We don't read stage directions unless it is like absolutely necessary. Like all of those things are gone from like a standard reading for what we do. Um, and I think, but I think the most, I don't know, as a producer, they're all 
totally insane. You know, like it's so fast. We only have like 20 hours of rehearsal to do a full musical and to get it on its feet. You know, so they're just nuts. Um, and I think we just try to do our best to kind of prepare our actors and performers for that scenario and just let them know, like, you probably we probably won't get a run in before the audience is there. So like, just get let that go. But also to like, continue to let make sure that they know that it is a reading and they can look at their books and don't be afraid to do that our audience is very much aware of that fact and they will not judge you for you know reading your lines so it's you know it's it's a combination of those things i think of as a producer as a director it's you know very it's stressful but it's also like very rewarding and it's you know you hope that you get a cast that is willing to kind of be daring and make choices on the fly because you don't have a ton of time to like be super in depth with scene work and, and backstory and all those things. So uh, you depend so much on, I think for me, the, 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 the best thing as a director you can do is instill confidence in the fact that like, okay, we, I promise you, you will know where you're going. You will know what you're doing and you will know who, who this scene is with and why you're talking to them, you know, and I'm depending on you now to kind of fill in the blanks and then hopefully we'll get a chance to give notes and you'll be able to, we'll, we'll be able to really flesh these things out, you know? So I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, chess, the, the one that we just did that I, that I just directed was uh, chess and that was a piece that we've been wanting to do for years and uh, we finally got to do it and uh, I would say that it was definitely a you know it was definitely a a labor of love for me and and the cast was so game for trying to make this crazy musical work and our musical director Madison Alk was incredible and somehow achieved teaching all this music in in the tiny limited amount of time she had and you know so we had an amazing team you know i i, I had an amazing group of people to work with so it, it's it's really rewarding when you f you get it up and it's it's <laughs> it actually happens you know <laughs> so you the actors and the artistic team have about 20 hours together for Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. this all the like the week of, or is it stretch a little longer? Yep, yep. It's all the week of, so it is fast and furious. You know, um, that's the next phase of the series is to actually add another week of rehearsal uh, into the mix. So uh, dreams, we're, we're, we have big <laughs> dreams for that. But uh, you know, it's I think yeah. But like you said, like as a producer in general, so much of what you do. I think is all about kind of making sure that everyone has what they need and instilling confidence that like you believe in them and that and their ability to get the work done you know at least that's from my perspective like that has always kind of served me well in the sense of saying you know obviously choosing and, and hopefully getting people that you trust and that you believe in but the uh, I think it even probably goes back to when I was young about that idea of like, I've always felt that like constructive criticism and positive reinforcement are a much better way for like learning and, and achieving. And, you know, the ability to kind of inspire a group of people, I think that that always feels like the right way to go for me. Um, and so that is, and I had to learn that. Like that was, I think 
I had a big lesson probably like three or four years in during one of our shows when, because I, I, I was, I could, I could tend to be a little bit of a, like a micromanager at times. And I, you know, and I think it's part of it is because like a lot of times I could see an issue coming like a little bit before other people did or, you know, other people in the room. And I had a very good friend of mine who was talking to me about it and had done a ton of our stuff and, you know, and he was like, look, I know you're right. You probably do see things coming, you know, 20 minutes ahead of like when, when most other people do, like you see a problem or you see where we might be running up against something. But he was like, if you waited those 20 minutes, would other people in the room see it and would they be able to solve the problem? And it was definitely a, a, you know, and of course the answer was yes. <laughs> you know, of course the answer was yes. And so it really made me kind of rethink my approach and kind of made me go, okay, I need to kind of allow other people to solve problems rather than feeling like I have to solve them all. And also then be there ready if they need help, you know? And I think that that was definitely a good shift and turning point for me as a producer um, and as like a leader in any way. I think the ability to kind of allow people to find the mistakes or find the, the, the complications themselves and then see what they do. And then if they, if they are having trouble or if they need assistance, then coming in and going like, great, you know. Although sometimes you need to go like, uh oh, some, something's coming and I need to jump in now or, you know, uh, we're going to be in trouble. So I think you have to balance those two. But I, I, that was a big learning experience for me as a producer, especially. Oh, my gosh. I relate to that so strongly. What a lovely piece of advice. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it, it, it was, you know, an epiphany to me. But I was like, right. Other people can solve these problems. They can do it, you know. Um, but I think that that comes from the fact of like that perfectionist kind of like intensity that that I think at least for us, uh, you know, definitely Steve, me and Megan all have that in our own way, um, you know, and it was always about navigating those three personalities and kind of figuring out what the best dynamic was in the room, you know. <laughs> it, it, that personality, though, really does lend itself to producing and it's the problem solving brain that's always working and spinning yep yeah and 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 like i said like that ability i really think that there's also like such a such a unique skill in like finding being able to kind of inspire a group of people to then like go and do work and so often it just comes from the fact of going like i believe in you i trust you what if there's things i can do to help let me know but I know you can do this, you know, because so often as artists, you're, you know, and especially if you're in a new circumstance or if you're, we're working with a new director who's never done this before um, with the concert series, I think like, you know, the more I can kind of just be the cheerleader in the room and kind of help in like small moments of like, great, what if we did this or um, prep them in advance of going like, hey, just so you know, in this concert series, we, we, we really, really, really try not to do any stage directions. So I just wanted to tell you that up front so that as you're planning and as you're, you know, putting together blocking and all those things, that that is not something in your brain that you're adding into the mix that then later I'm coming to you and going like, hey, we got to cut this, you know? So I think it's, 
Yeah, but so much of being a good producer, I think, is being a good cheerleader, problem solve on the fly, you know, without, you know, pissing everybody off in the room and making them feel stupid. You know, that's like really important. <laughs> as you as you produce specific productions, as you produce chess, um, and and the artistic team is mostly coming on mostly coming on board for the twenty hours of rehearsal, the week leading of. When do you sort of really dig into the producing angle of, of this, <laughs> like schedule wise? Yeah, it depends. Like I think. So this past couple of seasons, we've had two new directors. Jarrell Henderson came in last year and directed a, a, a reading for us. Um, and, and Jarrell had never worked for us before. And then um, Jenny Eisenhower came in and directed Falsettos this year for us. And so I think for me, it it was at, at the beginning of the process, like like I was saying, kind of laying out kind of the way that the, the process works, helping in casting in any way that I can, but also allowing it to be their decisions. Um, you know, with Jenny, Jenny and I have worked together so many times as performers, and I've, she was around at the start of 11th Hour, so like she's been part of 11th Hour in many ways, but never as a director. Um, so it was just, that was, that was an easy process because we already knew each other so well. And I think with Jarrell, I mean, he's, you know, I didn't have to worry too much about Jarrell. He's directed a million things and we were lucky to have him. So it was very much about like, do your thing. You know, <laughs> you're very experienced in this. And the only thing that we could do was kind of help find Philly people that he wasn't totally familiar with. Um, because Jarrell is from Philadelphia and has directed a bunch here and worked here, but lives in Chicago now and directs and, and, and teaches out there. So he was coming back to Philly and he's directed some plays here, but he hadn't directed a musical in Philly. Uh, so it was just a different kind of group of people. So I think that was the biggest part initially for us as a producing team was going like, great, here's a whole list of people that we think you should see. What are you looking for? great, we'll call these other people in. You know, they sound like the right people. Um, and then at the end, I think it's really allowing them, I don't even really do much during the rehearsal process. I kind of let them run the show. Um, and then during tech, I'll come in and basically... Here, the mics cut briefly, but we were able to reset and continue the conversation. Um, I had you until um, you were beginning to speak about the tech process and when you plug back in. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, as I said, I jumped back in kind of during the tech process, which is one day of tech. And uh, it's, I'm just there kind of, especially with a new director, like, to be honest, with Megan and Steve, if they're directing now, or even Kate, when she was with us, even during tech, sometimes I wouldn't come because they've done so many of these that it's easy. But for someone who's new, I, I normally just am there as, as, as a sounding board if they have questions or if there's anything that they feel like from an 11th hour or logistical standpoint needs to get done that I can do uh, while they're focusing on directing the show. Um, so yeah, same thing. But, but uh, try to keep a low profile if I can. <laughs> if you were if you were speaking to a young artist who was interested in producing a reading for the first time, um, what would be several things you recommend that they need to put their focus on? <laughs> um, 
I mean, obviously, I think the story, like whatever, uh, I would say don't overcomplicate from a from a staging or, um, you know, the whole point of a reading is really to like showcase the story of a show um, or a play, you know, a musical or a play, um, you know, and kind of allow the audience to really hear the words of the piece rather than feeling like, whoa, there was so much happening on stage that... Um, it, I, it was distracting for an, from an audience, and it was also very complicated from an acting and, and performer perspective. So simplicity sometimes is, is one of the best things for, in a reading scenario. Um, casting is also always important because you never have enough time. You never have enough time. So like I said, the ability to, to bring on performers who are really willing and able to kind of make bold choices and try things will make your job as a director slash producer much easier um, uh, rather than feeling like you really have to work very specifically with every actor on board in order to get them where you where you feel like the character needs to be um, and then yeah just the, your ability as a producer from a producing standpoint and a directing standpoint I think too but like your ability to be the calm in the room is really really important like to be the one who feels prepared um, you know feels like if the more confidence you can instill in the performers on stage that you know what is going on <laughs> the more calm and prepared and easy they will feel in the moment because the second they feel like oh my god they don't know what's happening then as a performer you're like i i definitely don't know what's happening so if they're not prepared and they don't know we're we're screwed you know like we're we're in big big trouble so i think that that to me is definitely the ability to kind of be per, like know exactly i would say stage it out in advance get it in your script like so you know what i do me personally and a couple of the other directors on our shows i will map everything out in advance so i have the whole thing which in a full production i wouldn't do that you know but i have everything mapped out and i will will teach music the first two days and then i will speed through the staging and i'll just be like great we're gonna do one time through i'm gonna try to get this in your books as quickly as possible so you know where you're going and then we're going to go back and we'll actually get to work on some of this stuff each time. So that's worked well for me, but some people hate doing it that way. So that's, that's kind of personal preference. But I think the more prep and prepared you are so that you're instilling the fact of confidence and that you know what's going on to your performers, the more relaxed and confident they're going to be in the, in the process. So, yeah. I'm sure you've encountered many unexpected challenges as a producer is there anything you would highlight for for young artists specifically oh man oh there's so many you know <laughs> it, it really it really just depends on the show but i think that i think the more this kind of still goes back to what i was saying before because it's going to happen on every show. Something's going to happen or, you know, whether it's the fact of like an actor is gets sick at the last minute and, you know, you have four days of rehearsal and like, what do you do? And I think the more you can try to, uh, same thing, like be the person in the room that is supporting everybody else 
and is is supportive of the group and believes in the process and believes in what's happening uh i think the more fruits that will bear in comparison to like if something's going wrong you being the one who's like oh my god what are we going to do you know i think allowing people you know going up and saying hey here's a suggestion this is what i might uh, do in this moment what do you think to your director or whatever that is so that it really still becomes their decision and that it's not you ever having to kind of override the process unless that's that's like a last resort you know um so i think that just trying to maintain lines of communication and make sure that you are on the same page as the other people in the room i think will serve you best if and when something does go wrong because it will and uh you know the more kind of uh, in collaboration you are with the group, the, the, the quicker those things normally get solved, I think. How has producing complemented your work as an artist and now like as a director a little bit? Uh, I think it's been hugely impactful, especially as an artist before I get in the room as, as an actor, right? Like the whole idea of auditioning and casting and, you know, uh, the fact that it so much of it is out of my control as a performer so much and so much of it has nothing to do with my talent or my ability it, it which is one of the hardest things for any performer to kind of wrap their brain around but and part of the reason why I started creating my own stuff because I was like I, I refuse to allow other people to determine the type of work and who I am as a performer um, and that's kind of where Steve and I started as performers when, you know, with 11th Hour. But yeah, I think just knowing that all you can do is prepare immensely when you go into that, for, for when you walk into that audition room. Um, I always, when I'm teaching, I always talk to performers and I say, you know, uh, I use different language, but I say like, screw it, you know, like, the second you're about to walk into this room, the room to make to have your audition, you need to say screw it because in the sense of like there is no more preparation that I can do. So if I'm in my head, if I'm overanalyzing everything I do, if I'm anxious, if I'm like freaking out, uh, it, it does not help my performance in any way, shape or form. It only hurts it. So the ability to go great, I feel confident in my abilities and I know I prepared to the best of my ability for this audition, you should be able to, as you're stepping in that door, be like, screw it, I got this, you know? And and if, if I am bringing to the table what they are looking for, I'm confident that they will use me, you know? And I also say, like, as a performer, just walking in the room and... You know, feeling like, look, not in a co not in a cocky or, or kind of condescending way, but the ability to walk into a room and be like, I have something valuable to bring to the table. And I believe personally that if I am part of this production, that I can help make it better. You know, um, I can bring something of value to the table that other people won't bring, you know, and I think the fact that I've been on the other side so often and seen both of those things in action, those people who are so insanely talented, but they get in their own way and they, you can see them overanalyzing or being scared to make a choice because they're so anxious about the moment. And then the opposite, those people who come in and they're just themselves, they, they are 
extremely prepared. And um, even if the choices aren't always exactly what I envisioned, sometimes you get surprised and you're like, wow, I never thought this person would have done this role, but I can't wait to work with them, you know? Um, and so even if they're not right for that role, the ability to make that impression is something that I know that they're going to call me back for other things in the future, which is really your goal, you know, to make people want to work with you when you walk in the room. So, yeah. When you're when you're teaching and your students ask about the work that you do and, and the idea of like what is producing, how do you how do you talk to them and tell them <laughs> what your job is? Man, I yeah, I think from my perspective, it's just all about being the manager of people, you know, like making sure that lines of communication are there and in place and the fact that people are speaking to each other. And then when those lines of communication start to break down or if people are not able to communicate as well together as you would hope or those things that you're then able to step in and go, great, what do you need? What do you need? Let's facilitate a way to make that possible, even though maybe both of you need to make a compromise in this moment. Um, but my whole approach is all about communication and the ability to really make people feel like you have their best interest at heart, that you will support them as an artist, and that you are you are dedicated to what is best for this production. And what you feel is best is if everyone feels confident and comfortable doing their job and doing what they're doing. And they don't feel micromanaged or... or um, that lack of support that sometimes comes from someone always being over your shoulder or, you know, and those are things that I think really like, as you get older, you learn that, you know, you learn that like, okay, maybe I can't, as I was telling you before, I, I can't micromanage every situation, even if I feel like I can make this better quickly. Um, because sometimes it negates that trust between a director and a, and a producer or, or a designer and a producer um, to the point where they feel like they're able to kind of flex their muscles and, and, and do good work. Um, and that might be the hardest lesson to learn, especially because you as a producer, you have so much invested in this um, and you're responsible for making sure that it happens. But, you know, getting those people that you trust and that you know will deliver, even if things go wrong, you know, makes your job much, much easier. So, yeah, communication, though, is like, it's the key. And your ability to communicate with people without pissing them off or without making them feel like you're telling them what to do, um, you know, that you're kind of trusting why you brought them onto the project and, and, and how that works. Putting out fires. That's your job. Your job is to put out the fires and to do it in a way that everybody can still continue to work and, and, and get the job done, you know? Yeah. How has the transition been to, to virtual salon? It's been a little nuts. Um, you know, we the salons are great because those are just like curated discussions, you know? So it's really, it, it lends itself well. Um, we did this karaoke event um, which was uh, karaoke, C A R E karaoke, but um, but it was we raised money. We we wanted to do an event just for the community where like people could come on and and like a couple hours and sing a song and have fun and it was like all in the nature of fun. So anyone can do it. You don't have to be a performer. Like it, it's for whoever wants to do it. And uh, we raised some money for the Philadelphia Artist 
fund. Um, so that's we're still going to try to do stuff like that for a bunch. Excuse me, a bunch of different charities. Um, but uh, and then we're 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 in the process of kind of figuring out how to announce some other like more performative uh, virtual things uh, because it seems very likely that we will be doing virtual things for a long time now, you know, so kind of nuts. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Mike. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. It was a pleasure. That was Michael Philip O'Brien. I am Brittany Brewer. This is No Small Parts. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. Word of mouth is our best form of advertising. You can find No Small Parts on Facebook, No Small Parts Podcast, Instagram, at No Small Parts Podcast, Twitter, at No Small Parts Pod. For more No Small Parts, visit our website at www.nosmallpartspodcast.com. 